Last month, um, I had two rather interesting experiences back to back. Um, I was out at Drift Creek Camp um, as the camp pastor for the third and fourth graders, uh, which meant I got to hang out with our own Sadie Johnson, Lily Platas, uh, Annika Warren, our daughter Cora, and um, Jonathan Weaver was also there as a counselor. Um, by the way, Paula and Bruce, I learned that song, the Oregon version that you did at Children's Story, so thank you. I love it. Um, now, how many of you have ever been out to Drift Creek? Raise your hands. Okay, there's a significant percentage of you who have been to Drift Creek. Okay. For those who have yet to experience Drift Creek, um, it's set in the context of old growth forest, smack in the middle of Oregon's coast range in the Slaw National Forest. There are probably 750-year-old spruce trees there, nurse logs, um, salmon and huckleberries, uh, ferns aplenty, and it's, they're all bordered by this lazy and meandering drift creek. At night, you can see the Milky Way, and you can hear barred owls hoot to each other through the trees. Needless to say, it was a wonderful week, and it's going to rank in my top five, maybe three, maybe two highlights of the year. Camp ended on a Friday, and in a little more than a 24-hour period, I woke up in Los Angeles for a course that I took. Um, Beverly Hills, to be exact, right along the famous Santa Monica Boulevard. Um, it was the weirdest kind of environmental and cultural whiplash I've experienced to go from the old-growth forest of Drift Creek to Beverly Hills. All right. How many of you have ever been down can raise your hands. All right. A significant fewer percentage. All right. Um, for those who haven't, I've got some pictures to show. Um, could you bring the, the stage lights down? Yeah. All right. Here's the famous um, Beverly Hills um, sign. This is me, a uh, Mennonite boy, with an existential look of disbelief, standing at the corner of Santa Monica Boulevard and Rodeo Drive. All right? Um, here's the entrance to the Cartier Jewelry Store. It was awesome. This is along Rodeo Drive. Okay, here's, here's me along the Via Rodeo. Okay. So I was there and I happened upon this photo shoot with a professional model. Okay, you can see the photographer there. You can see the model there. It might be kind of hard to see, but look at the people who are coming up the stairs. 
Whoop, go back, whoop. All right, there we are. The people coming up the stairs, and I don't know if you can see the people down on the sidewalk looking up. Look at the expressions on their face. I wonder what they're thinking. All right. Uh, this is, um, well, obviously, 208 Rodeo. This is the maitre d' uh, where you can buy an Opus One Bordeaux blend for a mere $650 a bottle. Here's the, um, here's the police station, uh, the signage out front. And Simon, our 15-year-old, pointed out to me that like the fourth car back there, that's a Rolls-Royce. Okay. <laughs> this is a McLaren 720S. Four liter, V8. It can go from zero to 60 in under three seconds. It retails for a cool, okay, it the base model with no frills, okay, retails for a cool $311,000, okay? Here's the guy's personalized license plate on it. What you, you can see, but what you can't hear is the thumping stereo, okay? So there's the McLaren. Our theme today is gentleness. We're continuing our summer series on the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, oh, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, control. So gentleness. It means kindness, tenderness, mild-mannered, softness of action, lightness. The Greek word epikes means modesty, humility, down-to-earth, having a soft and supportive demeanor and being oriented towards the other, and having a quiet ego. Is anyone experiencing that same kind of whiplash I had? Back in the 1830s, George Bethune, a Dutch Reformed pastor and hymn writer, said, no Okay, he said, no grace is less cultivated than gentleness. I think he's probably right. Um, when I saw that McLaren, um, gentleness was not the word that came into my mind, which got me wondering, does gentleness look like weakness next to a McLaren? Gentleness is not weakness. It is not shyness or timidity or fearfulness. It isn't spinelessness or passivity either. But a lot of people 
think of it in those terms and view it as a weakness. Gentleness is not a weakness. Gentleness is really power and strength under control. It is being strong enough to be gentle. Gentleness is a Godward orientation used to describe a kind of walk, a walking by the spirit lifestyle, if you will. It's a response to the recognition and honoring the new way of being we have received through Christ. In Philippians, Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Paul's saying, let the power and strength of your modesty, your kindness, and your tenderness be known to everyone. See, the good news of the gospel that Paul is telling us about is that the seeds of the fruit of the Spirit are already there inside us, inside of everybody. They are part of the blueprint of being human, of being created by God, and of belonging to the world. They are part of the incarnation of being hidden with Christ in God as Colossians says. No, the seeds of gentleness are already there. And it's easy to think about gentleness towards others. There's certainly an outward focus of gentleness toward the larger world that can manifest itself in, uh, in good works. And yes, I am deeply satisfied to be part of an Anabaptist tradition that is oriented towards gentleness, a tradition that is oriented towards the other. The seeds of gentleness and the other fruits of the Spirit are already there, but it requires the right causes and conditions to come to fruition. Gentleness isn't a weakness, but sometimes we think it is because our North our North American culture, our society, filled with infinite images of power and of wealth and control of might makes right, cause us to think gentleness is a weakness. These images, which haven't changed much since Paul wrote about them, send subtle and profound messages that cause us to compare ourselves to the dominant icons of ever-increasing economic advantage and the pursuits of youth and beauty and immortality. That is, we are tempted, seduced actually, to be driven by outer authority rather than be drawn in by the calm and loving inner authority. Some would call this 
calm and inner authority, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It is what Paul counsels, if we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. And this is where this gospel is really subversive. Pema Chodron, who's a well-known Buddhist spiritual director, says, there is nothing more important on our spiritual path than developing gentleness to oneself. You know, she has a point. Uh, We're quick to think about gentleness as having an outward orientation, which is true. And yet, we are often hardest on our own self. Often the harshness and aggression we show is not directed outward towards others, but to ourself. You see, all around us, we are constantly bombarded with images that cause us to compare ourselves to something else, and we can never measure up. So the negative self-talk keeps going, and we are coerced and pressured in projecting ourselves as how we want others to see us. So we wear external costumes, pretenses, um, and a false self that capitulates to the pressure of voices saying we are not enough. Our true selves, however, that part, that eternal part of who we are, like gentleness, are the fruits of the Spirit. And so, in fits and spurts, usually three steps forward and two steps back, we move in the direction of who we really are, hidden with Christ in God which means letting go of our preoccupation with how we want to look or measure up. Now, I want to be clear about something here. There is nothing wrong with wanting to present our best face. There is nothing bad about projecting ourselves as how we wish others to see us. We just can't take any of it too seriously. These external costumes are temporary, but they are so necessary to get us all started in life. And sooner or later, they begin to show their limitations. When life experiences call us to question the truthfulness of our costumes, I think this is what Paul means in Romans when he wrote, we know our old self was crucified with Christ. This is the transformative power of the Spirit. When we detach from our costumes, our projected self-images, when we die to self and let the fruits of the Spirit be known. I recently turned 50 years old. 
And thanks, Molly. What I'm learning is that transformation often more about unlearning than learning. I'm unlearning my old temporary costumes. What I'm learning is that we are already participating in something very good. And when we look with the fruits of the Spirit, with the eyes and mind of Christ, the world is filled with infinite images of God. I've got one more set of photos to show you. Photos of old growth forest from Drift Creek. Gentleness is slow, organic growth. I want to show the photos to you without my commentary because I don't want you to be driven by my thoughts, but rather be drawn in by your own thoughts, your own calm and loving gentleness of your own inner authority. As you gaze at these images, where do you see gentleness? Where do you see yourself? Others. Where do you see power and strength under control? The whole world is filled with infinite images of God. I want to end with one more story. And I'll preface it by saying it's too easy a trap of dualism 
to think and to feel about this stuff in black and white thinking, as if Drift Creek good, Beverly Hills bad. Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. I would reframe that and say that the true eternal self and the false temporary self cuts through the heart of every human being. Metaphorically, I am like that McLaren and Drift Creek. So I was walking down Santa Monica Boulevard, and a jogger passed me. He was a black guy, shaved head, exercising with his shirt off. His muscles were very well-defined. He was ripped. His whole chest and back were tattooed, and he had ink sleeves that went all the way down to his hands. I noticed prominently on his back was a Star of David. It didn't make sense to me. I was tempted to jump to conclusions, um, but curious about an explanation for what I just saw. At the stoplight, um, I caught up to him, and while we were uh, waiting for the light to turn I heard myself ask him, hey, can I ask you a question? He nodded. Um, I'm curious about your ink. Um, what's the story about the Star of David on your back? Now, I don't know if it was the sweat beating down his face, or maybe I saw his eyes begin to mist over, but in an instant, his whole demeanor changed. He looked at me and began to tell a story. Eighteen years ago, he had a friend, a very dear friend. And for whatever reasons, uh, his friend was conscripted into the Israeli army and killed. He shared that the Star of David inked onto his back was his way of remembering and remembering their friendship and honoring his humility and his kind and tender spirit. The light turned green, but neither of us moved. We kept talking. When the light turned green a second time, he reached out his hand and gave me a fist bump and said, thanks for asking, and then did this. And off he went. Gentleness is soft and strong at the same time. It's like water. It's subtle and intimate. Gentleness is always moving forward, always noticing, always interested. It is the genuine heart of sadness. Gentleness is the product of tenderness. It comes from letting the world tickle your heart, 
your raw and beautiful heart. Gentleness is willing to open it up without resistance or shyness and face the world. It is willing to share your heart with others. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Amen.